Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. With every economic recovery, with every bubble in the markets, and with every debt bubble, there will be those that argue it's different this time. You'll hear things like, this economic recovery sees no signs of stopping. Maybe the Federal Reserve finally figured it out. Or, this bull market in stocks is one of the longest ever and valuations are at record highs. But do valuations even matter anymore? Or how about this one? Sure, debt keeps rising, but does debt even matter anymore? It definitely hasn't mattered yet. Why would it in the future? Of course, we know that valuations do matter, that debt absolutely matters, and the Fed remains more accommodative now than at the depths of any other past recession in the last 50 years, as evidenced by their still very low Fed funds rate of 2 to 2.25%, and their still enormous balance sheet. They haven't figured things out. To put it simply, by stating that it'll be different this time, And then going on to explain why the good times will always roll. And definitely, they're making the same mistakes of those in the midst of the housing bubble of the mid-2000s, the dot-com bubble of the early 2000s, and of course, the infamous 1929 bubble. With that being said, though, they aren't wrong in stating that it's different this time. It is different from 2001. It is different from 2008. Today, we're actually in a far worse position than back then. And as a whole, we are set up for far worse economic times in the future. And so I present to you 21 reasons that it is different this time. That's one reason for every trillion dollars of our debt here in the United States at the national level. And I think that's a great place to start with actually. Number one on this list the current U.S. debt is at $21.6 trillion for a debt-to-GDP ratio of 103%. At the end of 2007, prior to the beginning of the Great Recession and the financial crisis, debt stood at about $9.2 trillion, a debt-to-GDP ratio of 62%, a massive increase over that time span. Number two on this list, the U.S. government total deficit in fiscal year 2018 was over $1.2 trillion. In fiscal year 2007, it was only $161 billion. So despite the commonly repeated notion that the economy is doing great, the U.S. government continues to build a deficit at a record pace for a non-recessionary period or, or in a period right after a recession. Number three on this list, global public debt has effectively doubled since 2008 from $31 trillion to $61 trillion in 2017. Number four on this list, total household debt in the United States is now higher than it was prior to the Great Recession. Number five on this list, total student loan debt currently stands at over $1.5 trillion compared to less than $600 billion at the beginning of 2008. Uh, Number six on this list, I know what you're thinking. I'm talking about debt, but does debt even matter? People have been talking about rising debt for a long time now, but has it really mattered yet? I'd argue that it has, but I get what you're saying. So number six on this list, the U.S. bond market, which is a major determinant of not only the interest in the United States, 
government pays on their debt obligations, but also the interest rates of many other consumer and corporate loans. This bond market has recently broken a 30 plus year downtrend dating back to the 1980s downtrend in yields. What that means is that we have steadily rising yields and thus steadily rising interest rates. And you mix that together with an already astronomical and still growing debt load. It's a recipe for disaster. In addition, this rise in treasury rates has coincided with a rise in the Fed fund rates, a crucial interest rate set by the Federal Reserve, which is another important factor in the setting of interest rates across the broader economy. Uh, Number six actually ties in perfectly with number seven on this list, the Federal Reserve's unprecedented unwinding of their bloated balance sheet, which grew to over $4 trillion through their three rounds of quantitative easing. Uh, Many believe that this policy was instrumental in the rise of the stock market, bringing liquidity to the system, and in theory, also driving down treasury yields, driving down rates. Well, they're reversing that now, which means that they're buying fewer bonds, leading to higher yields and lower stock market prices. If it helped us on the way up, on the way back down, it's certainly going to be a headwind for the stock markets, for the bond market, and as a whole, the economy. And, and you know, speaking of the stock market, number eight on this list, the stock market has risen significantly in the nearly four years since quantitative easing came to an end. And actually, in the roughly 12 months or years since the opposite of that began, quantitative easing. In fact, the Schiller P.E. ratio, which is a really good measure of value for the S&P 500 price compared to inflation-adjusted earnings, is currently over 33. I mean, that's the value, 33. That's actually not quite as high as it was back during the dot-com bubble, which saw a high of nearly 45, which was, by the way, primarily a bubble in the stock market back then, the dot-com bubble. But it's actually higher than it was prior to the stock market crash of 1929, which was around 30 at the time. This is a huge disconnect. What I'm saying here is that quantitative easing, liquidity from the Fed, lower interest rates that helped the stock market for a very long time. Well, those things are no longer in place. Interest rates are rising. The balance sheet is coming down. And yet stocks continue to rise. There's a huge disconnect here. And again, I don't think that it's going to end well. Uh, Number nine on this list. I think it's also really crucial that you understand that this is about more than just how stocks are doing, though. The economy is not the stock market. You know, as a whole, the impact of a rising stock market is largely limited to those that own those stocks. I mean, sure, there's a bit of a wealth effect. If you have a a, a growing portfolio and and you sell some of those stocks, sure, you can use that to consume and, and maybe some of that money enters the rest of the economy, the broader economy. But for the most part, these gains are largely limited to those that own stocks. That makes sense. As of the end of 2017, the top 10% of income earners in the United States own a whopping 84% of all stocks. Stocks have risen during this recovery thanks to QE, more debt, and maybe some actual organic growth along the way. Um, Housing has done well since 2008 as well, but again, much of housing wealth is limited to the very wealthy. I mean, sure, middle or, or lower class income earners own houses, um, but, but it's been those hot markets, the luxury real estate, the oceanfront condos um, that have really thrived during this period of time. What I'm saying here, number nine on this list, is that this wealth gap has grown significantly since 2008. The rich have gotten richer, the middle class, the lower class, not a whole lot has 
gone on. It's it's just kind of been a grind. I mean, despite taking a hit during the crisis, the ultra-wealthy, the top 1%, the top 0.5%, they have seen significant increases in both wealth and income, whereas the vast majority of the rest of the population has seen a very little rise in both of those figures. Number 10 on this list, the increasing funding gap for public pensions, particularly at the state, county, and city level. This is a problem that emerged during the Great Recession, hasn't really been remedied since, and will require in the end either huge tax cuts, or sorry, tax hikes, huge cuts to the benefits system, that the pension benefit, or an enormous bailout from the federal government to stop the entire pension system from collapsing. Absolutely, totally different situation today. And it's it, it's, it, it really is a uh, tough situation for pension funds these days. Number 11 on this list, um, I mean, it's, it's more than just pension funds. There's a lot of other programs that are also unfunded. The ones that come to mind would be something like Social Security. I mean, yes, it's a federal program. It will be funded in the future, but it's going to be extremely expensive, increasingly expensive. It's only going to compound the national debt problem, and it likely will only lead to more and more inflation as, in the end, the Fed is forced to monetize that debt. Number 12 on this list, let's look around the globe for a second here, China which is perhaps the leader of the global economic recovery since the crisis is now currently extremely levered, drowning in debt, especially at the corporate level. It's a huge debt bubble, and when it blows up, it's inevitably going to bring down the rest of the economy with it, much like how China has helped the world recover post-recession. the rest of the economy is going to come down as China's economy declines and as this bubble inevitably pops. Number 13 on this list, Europe. Again, looking around the world, Europe is drowning in debt. Nothing new here. Particularly what I'm talking about is the the infamous pigs nations, P-I-I-G-S. That's Portugal, Ireland, Italy, Greece, and Spain. It's not just them. There's other countries that are doing poorly as well. But in reality, I mean, people talk about this notion of, of zombie banks, zombie corporations that are just barely surviving, drowning in debt, basically just able to to make interest rate payments, constantly needing bailouts. We have entire zombie nations over in Europe with very little hope of ever getting out of this hole that they've dug themselves in. They'll need constant bailouts, constant austerity measures. And even then, they're just going to be making the interest payment on their debt. Their debt is only going to continue to rise. This is a problem that is not going to be solved, and it's going to continue to drag down the eurozone and, honestly, the entire global economy. Number 14 on this list, the emerging markets. I'm talking countries like Argentina, South Africa, Turkey, Mexico, Pakistan, India, Indonesia, Venezuela, Iran, and, and many, many more. They hold a ton of debt as well. A little bit of a different situation than the United States or Japan or um, some of these these European countries I'm talking about. A lot of their debt, especially at the corporate level, is held in foreign currencies such as the dollar or the euro, making them extremely vulnerable to dollar strength, euro strength, or just weakness of their own currency. And we're already seeing this crisis playing out, a full-blown emerging market crisis. I'm not convinced it's over yet. In fact, you know, number 14 on this list, emerging markets could be um, currently lighting the fuse for a much larger global contagion and economic downturn. Uh, Number 15 on this list, demographics. Much of Europe, the United States, South Korea, and Japan, these powerhouses, economic powerhouses, developed economies, all have an increasingly bleak demographics picture. Essentially, people aren't having enough kids. 
The population is growing older and older. There's fewer and fewer workers to support plans like Medicare, Social Security, as well as the pension plans I mentioned earlier. Immigration from places like uh, below, you know, south of the U.S. border, the Middle East, Africa, etc., can help the situation some, but it's still a problem that is not going away anytime soon for many of these nations. Number 16 on this list, increasing political division. And maybe this has always been the case, but it certainly seems as if political rhetoric is as divided as ever, or at least in a very long time. Maybe we'd have to date back to something like the civil rights era or during or prior to and during uh, World War II to, to find a period in which all around the globe, not just the United States, but all around the globe, places like France, the UK, other European countries, and, and uh, we'd have to look very far back in history to find a time in which uh, the world has been as divided as it is right now. Add in an economic downturn to this type of division, and somehow I think that will just be adding fuel to the fire. Um, actually, number 17 on this list, speaking of fuel, the oil market is in a huge bubble right now. Or more accurately, the shale oil sector in the United States. It is drowning in debt while extracting shale oil at a price that could potentially be supported by markets if the price continues to rise a lot. But even then, that might not be enough to save some of these companies that just have terrible balance sheets. They've invested far too much money in a in a structure, in a in a system that is, is not going to work out for them. And honestly, a, if oil prices go sideways, if they drop back to $50, below $50, it's going to lead to mass defaults in this sector, uh, collapse of a major piece of the energy sector, and it's absolutely going to spread to, I think, the broader economy and, of course, the markets. Number 18 on this list, lack of liquidity in the markets. You can think high-frequency traders, ETFs, and, and kind of the the, uh, the creation of those rising popularity of ETFs, passive investors, whatever you want to blame it on, but markets today are ripe for illiquid flash crashes. We've seen them. We've seen them in all sorts of markets, uh, dating back for years now, stock market, the VIX, precious metals, bond markets, whatever it is. Currency is absolutely flash crashes because of lack of liquidity. And imagine, I mean, all of these dips have been bought, but imagine if the markets, the algorithms, the traders, institutions are presented with conditions that they are unsure about. They don't know how to deal with it. Imagine if the stock market started falling in a flash crash scenario and no one bought the dip. No one bought the dip. And this was allowed to go on for days, weeks, because traders, institutions don't know what to do. And so, you know, these algorithms, these high frequency traders, whoever it is that buys these dips, what if they're just turned off and they don't buy the dip? That's absolutely a major threat on a lot of these markets, currency markets, uh, stock markets, bond markets, etc. You name it. Um, illiquid crashes in the market. This is something that we just haven't seen to this extent in the past. Certainly not back during the financial crisis. Number nineteen on this list: the ongoing trade war. Um, this is honestly showing no signs of slowing down at this point. And these tariffs on China, Canada, Mexico, the EU, and whoever else that we're slapping tariffs on, and the tariffs, of course, that they're placing on U.S. goods that we're exporting to their countries. Well, they're taxes, and, and new taxes are bad for economic growth. Additionally, I mean, they're going to cause, I think, in the end, prices to rise for consumers, squeezing already tight, balance, uh, very tight, I guess, um, income to, to expense 
situations. These checkbooks are, are, are going to be squeezed basically by these rising prices. All in all, it's not good for economic growth. I get it. You want to keep jobs here. You want to help save our economy. But I don't think this trade war is going to help out your cause in the end. I think it's only going to contribute to um, this coming economic downturn. Number 20 on this list, almost to the end here, guys. The vast majority of the population is oblivious to all of this. They're mentally, as well as financially, I think, unprepared for what inevitably will happen. I mean, have we already forgotten the lessons of 2008? Probably, actually. Of course, I mean, this isn't necessarily a reason that's different this time. I mean, these events, major events, tend to catch, catch most people off guard. But even if these people realize that, yeah, eventually some sort of a recession is going to come, eventually stock markets will probably go down, I think they're completely underestimating the magnitude of this economic downturn that will absolutely catch them off guard. So I'll leave this as number 20. And finally, saving this for last, number 21, reasons for why this is different, our very own president actually predicted that this whole thing will come crashing down. This is a quote from back during the 2016 election. I'll leave you with this because I think it is very telling of the situation that we're in right now. And actually, it's not a bad prediction by him. I think he's absolutely right on this quote. Now, look, we have the worst revival of an economy since the Great Depression. And believe me, we're in a bubble right now. And the only thing that looks good is the stock market. But if you raise interest rates even a little bit, that's going to come crashing down. We are in a big, fat, ugly bubble and we better be awfully careful and we have a fed that's doing political things this janet yellen of the fed the fed is doing political by keeping the interest rates at this level and believe me the day obama goes off and he leaves and he goes out to the golf course for the rest of his life to play golf and when they raise interest rates you're going to see some very bad things happen because the fed is not doing the job doing their job the fed is being more political than secretary clinton said very well by our president. The markets today in 2018 are far above where they were when he said this. But interest rates have risen. And by more than just a little bit at the point, at that point when he had said that, interest rates, the Fed had raised interest rates one time since lowering them in response to the Great Recession. They've raised them seven times since then. At the time, they were at between a quarter and a half percentage point Fed funds rate. Today, they're over 2%. Interest rates have risen by more than a little bit, and I don't think that he's wrong, that it's going to come down, it's going to crash the economy as a whole. Um, I don't know. I don't know about you. I think it's getting awfully close to the time for, for a lot of us to sit back and relax, grab a pop, soft drink, soda, whatever you want to call it, grab some popcorn, and enjoy the show. Fireworks, I think, are coming Uh 2018, 2019, I don't know when, but 21 reasons for why it's different this time. Thank you guys for watching this video and God bless.